Hey everyone, welcome to episode 294 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing time talking with Israeli landscape photographer Elan Shahom. Elan is one of those photographers that flies under the radar, and when you see their work for the first time, you'll ask yourself, why have I never heard of them before? Elan made the challenging transition to become a full-time photographer in 2017, and in today's episode, we take a deep dive into monetization and internal conflicts that can arise relating to monetization. We also had a wonderful time talking about artificial intelligence, so be sure to stay tuned through the whole episode. Before we start, I wanted to make another plea for your support of the podcast on Patreon. Just 1% of listeners support the show, and if that number was just 5%, I could easily make photography my full-time evocation while keeping you entertained. If you find value in these conversations, your meager support of the show would go a long way in showing that value. I am a firm believer in the value-for-value model, meaning you pay me what you think this content is worth. As long as you're giving me more than $0, I think it's a fair transaction. For everyone else who is already supporting the show, thank you so much. You are the best. Please go to patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen to support the show. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Ilan Shahom. All right. Elan Shaham, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah. Long time listener and uh, first time caller. Really glad to be on the other side. <laughs> first time participant. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully I didn't butcher your name there. No, no, you did a good for job. A, for a boring I'm American, impressed. I did okay. Cool. Right on. Awesome. Well, you know, we've exchanged some emails, and uh, I feel like you're the second person I've ever had on the podcast from Israel. I guess you could say third person if you include Gaital. Even though he's not, he doesn't uh, live yeah. there anymore. But um, it's awesome. I, you know, I really do try to diversify the show and get people from all over the world on. It's you know the time zones and the language thing, but we made it happen. Yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, glad to be here. For I, I don't think Gaital really counts as Israeli anymore, but uh, <laughs> he's great to have on anyway. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, for people that aren't familiar with you, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, yeah, love to know more about you. Yeah. So, uh, as you said, my name is Ilan Shacham. I'm a landscape photographer out of Israel, uh, married, three kids, um, turned professional five years ago after many years as a software engineer and algorithm engineer. High-tech business. Algorithms. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, everything in your camera is algorithms. Totally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, artificial intelligence, you mean, boo. But uh, it's also, it's good for humanity, maybe, sure. I think. Um, so these days, I, I do workshops. I do... Um, photo tours abroad. I have uh, some photo trip groups, like groups that meet once a month each time in another area in Israel. Uh, so it's so very nice. We get to see lots of the country. Uh, I sell some photos to magazines commercially. Um, 
mostly through Getty images. I sell prints. Uh, do everything it takes to <laughs> to survive and support my family. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the formula is to put as many sticks in the fire as you can and hopefully they all stay on fire. <laughs> well, hopefully at least a few right. get a nice fire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I am admittedly not well-traveled and I only have like a mental image of what the landscape is like in Israel, which I'm sure is completely wrong. So I'd love for you to tell, tell us a little bit about kind of what is the landscape like there and what do you love about making pictures in, in Israel? Uh, well, first of all, Israel, I think, contrary to might you think from how much you hear us on the news, it's a very small country. It's about the size of Massachusetts. Um, it's, uh, for that size, it's very diversified. You know, we have mountains and greenery uh, in the north, have some great uh, seascapes, have deserts in the south, a very nice mix, you know, you can, according to your mood, you can pick where you want to go. Uh, I think the most interesting or different part is the Dead Sea, um, which is, it's, not, it's actually more of a lake, really, but it's very, very salty, about 10 times uh, as saline as the ocean, uh, so... Really, nothing lives there. And that's the name. Actually, it's yeah. That's the, <laughs> exactly, exactly. They didn't think too much about that. Uh, well, in Hebrew, it's actually called the Salt Sea. So I don't know which is uh, more imaginative and creative. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's very descriptive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You should understand what you're doing. Uh, so. It's it's really photographer's paradise because have all these interesting salt formations, part of them coming out of the water, and it's really amazing to see how many different types of formations you get there. You know, you'd think, yeah, salt solidifies, it would have one form, uh, but it's really a lot of different forms and shapes and... Lots of fun to take photos there. We have deserts like in your uh, west or midwest, um, which are very nice. You know, in the winter, <laughs> you can photograph there most of the day. Right. In summer, you go to do some astrophotography. Uh, so really lots of great stuff to, to photograph in Israel. Yeah, so that, that salt thing that you're talking about, my first experience with that was just back in January in Death Valley. And I'm guessing mm -hmm. the geologic processes are somewhat similar in terms of water um, evaporating and then the salt takes on really weird shapes. And so it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen because as the water evaporates, the salt expands and then it pushes the soil and the salt together and it all just pushes up and makes these just alien-like structures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I've, haven't been to Death Valley yet, but uh, that sounds just about right. Yeah. Okay, well, count me in for that, because that was, that was probably one of the coolest things I've ever photographed ever. It was just so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll need to get to there, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Well, 
let's kick this let's kick this podcast off and have you tell us uh, the story about how you accidentally got into photography. Oh yeah, yeah. I I was I was mountain biking and I got uh, reached out by a cycling magazine here in Israel. They asked me to write about mountain bike trails, mountain bike itineraries, uh, like a monthly trail to to go on. So I did that. I cooked something up, went with my friends. We rode it. I wrote down the track, sent it over, and then I get the magazine very excited. I open it up, and what the hell? All of the pictures have nothing to do with what I was writing about, with where we were. You know, uh, now I know it was a stock photography. Right. Some of it, not even from Israel. <laughs> so, uh, so I went out and bought a small camera, the Canon A seventy five. I don't know if you remember those things. Uh, to chronicle the rides and. Uh, Luckily, it wasn't that simple. It had uh, like ma some manual controls, and uh, it was three megapixels. Mm. I put it uh, right here on the strap, on the shoulder strap of the of my mountain biking bag, so I could take photos while riding. <laughs> uh, and pretty soon, I I saw that I enjoyed the photography just as much if not more than the mountain biking right. and that I'm actually pretty good at it so but but it took it took me about 3 years I think until I finally went on uh because I was just so happy with the fact that it was small and in the pocket here and I could shoot uh on instinct whenever I saw something interesting uh, so it really took a lot of time. Then I got some uh, a DSLR-like camera, and I quickly understood that that's no good. And yeah, especially for mountain biking. <laughs> Sounds like that would not go well together. Uh, well, you'd be surprised these days. Uh, well, since then, uh, I bought a DSLR. Uh, it was Nikon D90 at the time. So... I had like a special bag with the Nikon D90 and two lenses. And I've been riding like that ever since and even never broke the camera. So. Oh, well, that's not fun. <laughs> well, I broke myself, but uh, somehow the camera, the camera was well protected. Yeah, it sounds like me on a mountain bike. I've, I'm not very good at it, and every time I've tried, I've hurt myself. Um, but it's cool that you got into photography through another activity. That's exactly how I got into photography as well, is through mountain climbing and hiking. Yeah. And I oh, yeah, started yeah. bringing my camera with me just to document the adventures. And before I knew it, I was like, I kind of like the photography more than the other stuff, you know? <laughs> exactly, so, yeah. exactly. Well, that's really cool. And then yeah. kind of what, what was your path after that? Because I'm guessing you were still doing the software engineering and then at what point did you yeah, realize yeah. maybe I could do something more with this? Uh, well, I, you know, right from the get-go, I think it was, the, the photos were pretty good and, you know, and they were in the magazine and I, I also, you know, for the magazine, I did some work on uh, a company or a few that 
do f- like mountain biking trips abroad uh, and you know they were very happy with the those photos even blew up I think they had a like a, a meeting for all of their customers and took one of the photos and blew it up three meters ten feet wide and it's <laughs> the three megapixel uh, photo um, so I was I was getting some good traction. Um, I was on Flickr, and about 2011, I think I was contacted by Getty Images on on Flickr for the they had like a project, and I've been working with Getty Images ever since. And doing I I did lots of uh, started doing uh, in parallel to my work. Uh, some some photography stuff and earning a bit of side money uh, from that and uh, around 2017 I think it was a lot later than I might have wanted <laughs> but I finally decided that uh, I'm going to take the plunge and have a go uh, at leaving my former career behind and being full photography uh, I was sure I'd be a horrible businessman and that after a year I'll come crawling back. <laughs> but but somehow somehow it worked and uh, really ha- haven't, uh, haven't looked back since. Uh, very happy with the decision I made. What were, what were some of the variables that went into that uh, decision? Because I know so many people are... It, that's something that they're looking forward to, or maybe they're like on the cusp of trying to pull that off. And I know for me, I've been wavering on that edge for, gosh, probably five years now. It's I'm still yeah, just like, yeah. oh, I think I'm, I don't know. So yeah, what, what was that? What was the decision-making process like for you? Um, I think you know the 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 big problem or the the, the big hurdle is that. You need to support a family, you know, uh, and the high-tech uh, salary is very good, <laughs> and it's a good incentive not to leave it, because uh, it's really, really hard to to make the same kind of money on your own, and uh, you know that that was for years that that's what kept me, I think, from from doing it. Golden, uh, golden handcuffs. Uh, exactly, exactly, uh, and I just. I think at that point had some money, you know, uh, stashed away uh, that I could afford to maybe not be earning so much for for some time. Uh, so I said, I, I, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta do this. I, I really, uh, you know, I've been wanting to do that for so long, and uh, let's have a go. Uh, I think. Like I said, I, I thought that on the business side of things, I, I'd be horrible. You know, I have no experience whatsoever with that. Uh, I can't make a call. Uh, how you call it? Uh, uh, the sales call without uh, without talking first, or without them knowing who I am. Cold call, cold call. That's what I want to say. I couldn't make one. Uh, if to save my life, right. you know, um, it's just <laughs> I'd procrastinate and and not do it. So and 
you know, I saw some people that have to chase uh, the, their clients to get their money, and I really couldn't see myself doing that. Uh, but uh, so, so all those things to me were saying, nah, you can't make it on your own. But somehow uh, things do turn out uh, nicely. They work. You you channel yourself to to the right places, uh, you know, to to the places where your strengths are and not uh, the things you can't do. And if if you can make that work, uh, then you're happy and you're making a living and enjoying what you're doing. So so for you for you, yeah. what's the big hurdle? Oh, you know, it's everything you said, like just fear and, you know, grew up pretty poor and I've lived that life and I don't want to go back to that ever. And, mm -hmm. you know, being, yeah. being those kinds of money issues, like that gives my wife and I a lot of anxiety. So when we don't have those issues, like everything's a lot better. Um, you know, when we, were, when we mm. first met, we were both making very little money and we both came into the relationship with a ton of debt and, you know, it was hard. Um, yeah. And that puts yeah. a lot of stress on our relationship and your mental health and all that. And, you know, the further that is in my river mirror, the better it feels. So I, I think there's a lot of those kind of concerns. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, to your point, every time I've had to step up when things have gone weird or like I got laid off from a job, it's worked out. I mean, I, you, you figured out, you know, so... Yeah, I'm less worried as all as I get older. I, I'm become a little bit less worried about it, but it's also, I think, my son just started high school, so I think once he's done with high school, that will be a lot easier decision. You know? Ah, uh, do you know how much college costs? <laughs> right, now, I know, <laughs> I know. It's uh, I know. I need to like triple my income instead of half it. Totally. Yeah. No, I know. It's bad. Yeah. What are so earlier you mentioned, um, you know, leveraging your strengths. What are some of the strengths that you uh, relied on in order to find success as a full-time photographer? Uh, well, I, I think I, first of all, you know, just diving into it and doing a very good job of uh, mapping out uh, all the possibilities, all the things I can do, uh, mapping out, you know, the, the competition, trying to to find out in each of those uh channels what you know how, how how cost effective it is you know how many hours or your average pay per hour you know because there's some things you can do and you'll work a lot of hours and get very little out of it right. and others uh you, you can do something that you can actually uh live on um I think I, I tried to to differentiate myself. Um, you know, these days, in, in terms of workshop leaders, you have every guy who got a few likes on Instagram goes out and starts guiding workshops. Uh, so I, I tried to to show the public that that I'm better than that. Let's say, uh, you know, show off. Um, some competition wins uh, show off. Uh, you know, through Getty, I got quite a few uh, photos in magazines. 
including versions of National Geographic or uh, Lonely Planet. So th that's that's kind of impressive stuff that tells the people this is not just another wannabe. <laughs> Hopefully, I, I was a wannabe, but uh, at least uh, uh, with a little credit uh, that could help uh, make my yeah, name. A little credibility. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, to me, I think that that really makes a difference. You know, trying to to show to well, it's really to differentiate yourself from everybody else because there are a lot of people doing it. Um, I, I was using actually my main tool for marketing was Facebook. I just got lots of uh friends on facebook and uh and and that was the way to contact i think it's pretty easy because you know you get lots of photographer friends so uh in terms of uh workshops photo tours etc uh that's where your potential clients are so uh for at least at first that's how i got to people later luckily you know word of mouth uh kicked in and these days I you know I uh, I still use Facebook to show off but I don't need to uh to actually do marketing through through Facebook. Good. That's great. Well, you know lately I've been getting for some reason I've just been getting a ton of questions from listeners uh relating to monetization of landscape photography. Um and I think this is on a lot of people's minds. Uh one degree or another, I feel like. Um, and I think we can take this in a lot of different directions. So first, just a really simple question for you. Um, in what ways does the need to monetize uh, landscape photography help and hinder the photographer? Okay. Uh, well, I, I think you can, um, first of all, uh, divide that to two, two types of monetizations. First of all, it's those who have a day job and do it on the side. And then uh, those who want to go uh, completely pro, I'd say that you know if if you're doing it on the side, the, the problems are aren't so big, you know, because you make it, you don't make it, you don't really you don't care too much. Uh, you do care because you love what you do, and uh, it's not nice when people don't care enough about that. But uh, I think when when you go really full pro you everything you do you you have in the back of your mind the monetization you know when when i go out to shoot it's is there a good uh is this a good place to do a workshop can i where do i come where do i bring the people in uh is it too hard to get there is there enough diversity here and you know it's i came out to shoot but it, it just kicks in and uh, you know when you take photos of places you maybe do a little less artistic or creative because you just you need that banger shot that uh, will sell the workshop uh, and you know if you sell prints it's the same you you're thinking in the back of your mind is this saleable you know maybe I could focus on that uh, rock and the water around it for an hour, but uh, that will make me very happy, but it won't 
it won't sell. So, you know, you, you have that in the back of your mind. That, oh, I got the best light here right now. Maybe I need to do the shot that will, uh, that will sell, that people will like, and not focus on whatever I'm really feeling like, like doing. So I, I really feel that even though I do photography like full-time and I'm out uh, really <laughs> much more than, than you can imagine, uh, uh, I, I rarely have the place to myself and to my thoughts you know i'm with people or when i'm without people i'm still it's always in the back of my mind so uh i think my creative uh progression has stopped a bit mm. during during these years because uh, i'm busy with the business uh progression and hopefully i think i've you know only now reached the state where i'm happy with uh the the income that i can start prioritizing and maybe somehow get a little more to myself to to think what uh to to, to have some time to do what i want to do sounds like there's a little bit of tension between your desire to be more creative and the need to monetize does that tension uh, cause you any regrets while you're out making images or is it something you've been able to uh, kind of create a mental workaround for? Like what is, what are the ways that you've dealt with that? Um, I think, you know, it's in, in terms of regrets, uh, I'm quite amazed that I have zero regrets really. Uh, there's not, there hasn't been a day in the recent five years where I thought, well, maybe I need to, to ditch this and go back to to my old job, uh, it, it, I was sure there would be at least some reasons. But uh, well, maybe lunch with the guys uh, at work. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, um, I, I don't think you know really regrets. I, I have times when I'm thinking, uh, you know, when I'm out and conditions are beautiful and instead of taking photos i'm running around between the people and <laughs> helping them out uh you know that can be a bit frustrating but uh but i am out i am witnessing this i'm having fun you know in in the landscape uh so it's better than sitting at the office uh so so i i think that's the mitigation you know you you tell yourself yeah, I, I could be sitting in my cubicle right now, no windows, and just uh, staying near the computer all day long. Not that I don't do that now, but uh, <laughs> but I do get out a lot more. Yeah, um, it seems like your strategy is to just keep that perspective in mind in terms of, hey, I'm doing my dream full time and I'm out here witnessing these amazing events and I'm still making photographs and I'm having a good time. The fact that I have to monetize that, that's fine. Sure, ideally I wouldn't have to make money and I could just make the images I want to make, but at the same time I'm still living my dream, so it's kind of okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, like I said, I hope now uh, to maybe balance a bit more me work uh into the schedule uh so so i can start uh to uh develop myself more again 
but but yeah, it's just uh, giving thanks that you're you're out there, you're doing fun stuff. It could be nicer to just be there on your own right. and uh, you and the camera and uh, the landscape. Uh, but you know you, you do have to make a living <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's it's a good it's a very good way yeah the last two years I've taught um, one-on-one like three-day workshops uh, during mm-hmm. fall colors which is like my favorite time to photograph period like I look forward to it every year and I decided this year not to do it. I just didn't offer it. I didn't want to do it. I just like, I don't want to deal with the pressures of that. And I don't, I want to have more time to just focus on my own work and try to figure, see if I can advance that a little bit differently in different directions or, you know, there's a, there is an opportunity cost too. Like if you sell prints or things like that, if you're teaching a workshop or whatever, that's time you could be spending making your own work. So, um, right. you know, you start doing the math and it's, you know, sometimes the math doesn't actually work out depending on how you've monetized the workshops and things like that. So I'm also in a position of luxury where I can make that decision, right? I don't necessarily rely on that income yeah. today. Like, obviously, if I got laid off tomorrow and I needed, you know, to make some money, I would absolutely sacrifice my own photography for a couple of days to make that work but i think it is um an interesting thing that people have to do in this field in order to kind of balance things out which kind of leads me to a question i had for you around um monetization i'm curious for you um how can we balance out some of these challenges with monetization and wanting to further our creativity uh well you know first of all I think I, I might have mentioned it before. If you don't have to, you know, if you have a day job and you're doing it this on the side, uh, I think the monetization is is maybe more for the soul than from for the actual money. I mean, if you manage to to sell a print, and you know somebody actually goes out, takes his wallet out, gives you money for your photo and then hangs it on the wall i mean that's that's awesome you know that's that's great and you don't care if that money was just enough to to cover the print costs but uh it's 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 lots of fun it's good for you you know it's much better than someone who uh liked you on uh instagram or even said uh Wow, you should be a full-time photographer, but then you never heard from him again. So somebody actually reaching out into their pocket and putting some money is uh is really awesome, you know, if you get a company to to pay you for a photo to for usage or to go out and take some photos, you know, that, that that's awesome. And and if if you don't need it for your uh for your actual income if it's on the side you don't care too much about how much money it is but the the fact that somebody wants to give you money uh that that's really uh that's really awesome um if you're if you're full time like i said it's it's a bit more difficult and you need first of all to to get that uh um feeling of 
what works better in terms of uh, uh, in how much money you make per time you work and and maybe give up on some of the things that are less cost eff- cost effective uh, to to do your own stuff you know you you gotta start balancing that out I think like I said in the first years you're you're in a race you you need to get from zero to to a place where uh, you can call this income and you're relatively secure and then you can start to to mitigate the, that and get yourself back into into some creative mindset and some fun doing photography for yourself yeah it seems like I like what you said about it at least in the first year or two or three like there's gonna be some sacrifices that you're gonna have to make and you're gonna have to be okay with that um, and it's you know if you need less time that's that's cool but I do think that's a really good perspective and a way to put it that you're gonna be probably working even longer hours than you're used to and you know I think oh yeah <laughs> I think what, you're, what you said before is um, I think it depends on the person too you know like when I think about myself I have a full-time job but I also monetize photography and I do care actually quite a bit about how much I sell print for or not but that's because mm-hmm. I live in a really expensive mountain town and you know I have a kid that's we have to get into college or so and like you said <laughs> so you know I, I yeah. you know part of part of my monetization of photography is out of necessity because I work I work for a small nonprofit and I don't get paid much to do it. So, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time, I make just enough to where, you know, like I'm not panicking if I don't sell a workshop out or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. balance. And I'm sure everyone's situation is a little bit different too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, cool. So uh, this is kind of related to what you were just talking about, but if, if monetization of your work is not something that you need to do, like if you you have a good job, you're fine with working at your job, you don't need money, do you think it's just best to stay out of the business altogether or do you think there's value in trying to monetize still? Uh, well, that, that, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, it, it really depends on you. Um, like I said, the, the value of of having someone really recognize what you do and put the the, money, the the hand in the pocket and actually paying for your stuff it's uh it's really it great it's awesome. really great yeah, to it's... to have that feeling yeah. um you you know because otherwise you get lots of uh likes or whatever and but but you don't know what's what's really behind that um you could try to go uh, in other directions. You could try to, like, go uh, to art galleries and try to get them to to show your stuff. And and then even if you don't sell it, you know, the fact that it's on the gallery walls is uh, is kind of nice. Um, you could, well, make books. But but then once again <laughs> you want someone to actually uh to actually buy that book I think uh you know if you go out and make a thousand copies of a book and nobody buys it uh that could be quite frustrating uh so so you do 
need to work at it, you know. You, you, if, even if that money, you know, if you sell it at cost or whatever, uh, somebody needs to go out and, and pay for it. So it is some sort of uh, monetization. And, you know, it has to do with uh, external ex acceptance of what we do. I think some people are maybe more introverts and have fun taking the photos for themselves and they don't need anyone uh, to see it. They enjoy being out. They enjoy doing whatever they do. And they don't care that uh, that nobody sees that. And, well, I think they're probably very happy. So <laughs> it's good for them. But I think most of us aren't aren't like that. We need, we need a bit of uh, acceptance from from the public, from the people around us. Um, so Last summer we had this huge wave of people getting into the NFT space and, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, not to go down that rabbit hole, but a lot of the people that were doing it that I was friends with, like they had well-paying, they had good paying jobs, like they're doctors and lawyers and, you know, they don't need the money. And so I was always puzzled, like, why would you get into this weird kind of sort of toxic culture and like, you know, not to get into the specifics of the Ethereum issue, but like it was very environmentally unsavvy and all those issues. And I was just puzzled, like, you don't need the money. Or what are you doing? And I think it touches on what you're talking about, that outside of the NFT space, they, were, they weren't getting the validation or the attention that they wanted from their photography. And that, exactly, and that space yeah. was providing that to them. Um, and so I think that's what got a lot of people hooked into that is like, oh, there's people out there that say they like my photos. That's pretty sweet. So, and then maybe they've never experienced that before. So that can be a very, a very, um, powerful drug. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you think most of us want to be loved. Yeah. You know? That's a human so. need. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, so one 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 way or another, if it's something we're we're putting a lot of our effort into, uh, we, we'd really like to uh, people to to understand that and to say, oh, yeah, you put that effort in for a good cause, you know, not, yeah, you suck. I don't know why you do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. There are there are a few small, there's like a very small percentage of people out there, like my dad, that like. He becomes a master craftsman at all these little, like he makes his list of hobbies he's mastered is like endless and he doesn't care if anyone likes it. He doesn't care if anyone knows yeah. about it. He doesn't want to sell it. He doesn't want to monetize it. He just really, really enjoys that process of like getting really, really, really good at something and then moving on to something else. Like he, he used to make like Native American flutes and he used to make his own pottery and he's he used to craft his own beer um now his new thing is like making ancient weapons and arrowheads and stuff like that and he doesn't care yeah and, and i'm sure and i'm sure he's very happy yeah i'm sure he's very happy doing that and he, he, so... he does not care if anyone likes it you know he just he just loves doing it <laughs> yeah so <laughs> that's really great that that's the best way to live you know yeah and i think there's you're having fun and you don't care what everybody else says <laughs> I think there's some maturity in that too, you know, I think at certain stage in your life, I think not to get super psychological, but like Erickson stages of human development, like 
once you're over the age of 50, you start seeking out things about your life that maybe you didn't when you were 20 or 30. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense. But, you know, uh, still really people like that who, uh, would love for you to hear about what they're doing. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> that they do some uh, some woodworking in yeah, the back. Yeah, you want to come and check out my wood? Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you want to see this cupboard? I, I made that myself, right. you know. And the hinges are A4, and, right, and I, <laughs> I don't know, I whatever them in my, <laughs> the terminology. I forged those hinges in my own fire, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, you know, the, usually you want somebody to, you know, even talk about it and right. share the terminology and, uh, you know, uh, and... Once again, get some acceptance for for what you're doing. So I, I'm not sure it's about maturity. I think uh, it's it's about your who you are, and uh, everybody's different. So you know you have uh, people like that, and you have people that have to are extroverts and have to show everything right. to everyone and get public uh, right. acceptance for everything they right. do. Um, and most of us are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can change over time too. I mean, um, I'm thinking of one of my really good friends, uh, when I, when we first met, like he was all about making print sales and, and making it as a photographer. And over the years, he's kind of come to more like, I don't care if I sell things. Like I just want my friends and my peers to like my photos, you know? And I think not the public, he doesn't care about them, but like the people he respects, mm -hmm. he wants them to at least acknowledge that, hey, you're making some really cool stuff. And I think that's a that's an uh, interesting mindset too. I, I think so too, you know, I, when, you know, what, obviously I think you, you, you'll, you'll see that too in, in your work and where you publish it. Uh, when you get a like or a comment or whatever from someone you know right. and respect it it's different it's much more than some dude you you never really heard of and who says wow awesome right. photo or that uh, fan that like literally comments on every photo you post with the same comment <laughs> you're like oh you're here again i see that's cool <laughs> i don't know if you have any of those but i have a couple people like that uh, where it's like every time i post a photo on facebook they make the same comment it's like Maybe you don't realize it, but I noticed it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you, most of the time when you see those people, they make the same comment for other oh, yeah, of course. people too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's like I don't really need those comments, but okay. But yeah, if it's from uh, someone well, I really respect, the, and they're like, "Wow, this is one of the best images you've made," and I love the way you processed this, I love the way you handled that in the photo, and. I can't believe you did that. And wow, that's really impressive. Like those are the kind of comments that I think we all really want, you know, even if there's like yeah, yeah. some constructive criticism peppered in there, like, Hey, maybe next time try this instead or like, okay, cool. Thanks, man. You know? So, uh, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, especially, uh, if, if we're talking about photography, so other photographers, we, we respect, uh, and maybe, People who don't usually uh, say anything about your stuff, or maybe frown a bit, <laughs> uh, if uh, 
if you get a good comment from dev that that that's great and it doesn't matter how self confident you are and how good you feel about what you're doing if if you get that uh usually has a a lot more weight any other normal comment or or like right right well kind of going back to what we were talking about before monetization and all that sounds like something it's something that you've put a lot of energy and thought into and i'm sure you've made lots of mistakes and learned from those mistakes over the years so i'm curious for our listeners who maybe haven't made some of those mistakes yet what are some uh, actionable tips that you have for them um for people that are looking to make some money on their photography uh okay let's let's focus on people who actually you know who want to go uh full pro i think you you need to first of all be really serious about what you're doing you know to understand that there's going to be a lot of work behind the scenes and you're not going to be outside taking photos all day long you you really have to map out you know make a long list of everything you can do uh like i said you need to map out the competition have a look what they're doing how they're doing and it copy everything if you can copy find out everything that no, no. I'm, just, I'm just joking <laughs> That's what people tend to do. It's like, oh, they're doing this. I'm going to do it too. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, you can do that. Or you can try to to differentiate yourself to find your own niche that, that usually uh, would work a lot better uh, if you can find something different uh, but still uh, desirable. Uh, but, but, but really, you know, try to find out how much money they're making if it's possible or how much they're charging and uh you know think which of that is uh is something uh is something you can do like i said map out your strengths and weaknesses uh not only in photography but also in business is this something you can do is this something you can't do um you know and try to to go for the things you're you're better at like i said in terms of marketing for for example i i can't make the that called the uh, cold call sales yeah. call uh, so, <laughs> so so areas uh where where you really need to make lots of those i avoided um you know i i don't do too much uh actual commissioned work because i i'm not going to run around calling people and telling them oh, I'm so great you need me you have to pay me to go out and do something like that I'm sure there's a better way to, <laughs> to say that and that's how people who know how to do it uh, do it but I I find it really hard so um, like I said I went to marketing uh, more via Facebook things that I can write things that I can get out there to lots of people and I think it will catch on with uh, with some of them and Uh, so, so you really need to to see your strengths and weaknesses in in the business uh, perspective and uh, you know you, you need to be very patient at, at first until you get traction it takes time it takes time even if you're very good um, you know the, not everybody's gonna jump out and run with dollar bills uh, to pay you 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 You're, you're gonna have to take uh, to take time to build your name to build your business um, I, I think you you can't make too many mistakes 
because you you learn from everything you do. I think, uh, yeah. you know, I I did some things that were less uh, uh, effective, but right. you you just you just learn from them and and go along. You you have to realize mistakes are mistakes uh, especially are at first. Really good. Like what mistakes are, I think important. You know, it's like that's how you exactly. that's how you learn. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the more mistakes you can make, the better. Honestly, and make. Make them quick. I mean, make them well, quickly. Maybe. You know what I mean? So you can, you can yeah, from yeah, them and yeah. then like, oh, I should try this instead. And yeah, I think that's an important point that I think people need to hear. No, and there's yeah, no, yeah, there's no to... shortcuts. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, most of us have heard some great stories of people who had something lunged upon right. them, and everything became. Roses, you know, life was great. Uh, it it doesn't happen, you know. Uh, don't don't count on that. It's it's really an emotional roller coaster, especially at first. You know, every time you have a small success, you're all well, yeah, I'm making it, I'm doing it. Uh, from <laughs> here on, it's all uh, yeah. it's it's all Puppy great, and, and then cream, <laughs> yeah, and 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 unicorns. You forgot oh, the unicorns. <laughs> That's what Photoshop is for. <laughs> and and then, you know, especially at first, have one customer that uh, backs off, that uh, doesn't go, oh, man, I'm lost. It doesn't work. Uh, it, it's it's really, you know, uh, very small things can get you very high or very low, and you need to understand that's how it's going to be. And... Don't be too happy about the highs and don't be too depressed about the lows. Yeah. Just just keep going. You you learn. Uh, don't look at everything through through that dollar bill. You know, do do the right things. I think uh, uh, you you know I I don't say cut corners, but you know had people cancel and stuff. And you know yeah okay no problem. You get your money back. Uh, Good karma, you know. Uh, be don't don't uh, look, you know. That guy canceled. Oh man, that's a two hundred dollar bill. Uh, I could have done go gone shopping with that. Uh, so so don't don't look at it uh, that way. Just keep doing the right thing, and eventually everything will uh, will go right. Uh, but if you you know if you start. Uh, yourself about it you know from the inside no i should have done that i could have done that oh i lost that money yeah you're not going to be happy and and you won't succeed you need to to keep yourself uh very in a very positive mindset going forward i'm doing the right thing or i need to change a bit here and there but uh but as long as i'm on that road i'm i'm going to get there I want to go back to something you said about strengths and weaknesses because I think that's a really important process. Um, for starters, anything that's a strength, whether it's writing or marketing or maybe you're really good at web design, whatever it is, like that should be something that you try to tie in to your photography um, to help differentiate yourself from the from other people. And then second, Definitely. for your weaknesses. I think it's important to think about um, if it's not something you feel like you can do on your own, maybe hire somebody or partner with someone else or find a way to have other people help you with that so that it's not a weakness. 
Definitely. I I, I think that's <laughs> well. That's one of my weaknesses is that uh, <laughs> I don't do that. You know, I, I uh, <laughs> always good. I I really you know th- there are places where I know uh, I'm not so good, and I tell myself, yeah, I hear. I, I'm going to need to partner up with somebody, but I, I really uh, I enjoy working, working alone. I, I had a, a partnership for, for some, some time, uh, which didn't work out eventually, um, which was also something I, I learned a lot out of. Um, but I, I think it has to do with you, and I know for some things I'm going to need uh to get someone to to do that for me but uh that that's one of my weaknesses i i like to do everything by myself <laughs> yeah no i get it i'm the same way like i'm not very good with like graphic design and stuff like that but i'm always like oh, i'll just figure it out you know and then, and then it looks like total trash and you're like oh uh, yeah, as as a software developer i could tell you you can always see uh, the the UI the the user interface for the applications you can see where the the software engineers did it themselves without real help from uh, from pros <laughs> and it looks awful and it works awful you know you have for all kinds of buttons everywhere that they do everything you need to do but right. you can't find them and you it's know it's not intuitive uh, the, the, yeah <laughs> exactly exactly so if you're so if you're a programmer you'd know how to use that <laughs> but if you're uh, just the person on the street who actually has to use that uh you're probably going to be very frustrated yeah that reminds me of um <clears throat> have you ever used um stellarium it's like a s- star stacking yeah it's and like you know the best way to use it is like you know you get like 10 or 15 plus black you know images and then you're stacking them but you don't want the ground to be affected because if you don't click that mm-hmm. box yeah. then the ground moves too and it looks stupid and i it's, yeah. every time i use because i only use it like once a month maybe like maybe once every three <laughs> months or something and every time i'm like how do I, I i know i can do this how do i brush the sky so that that's only you know it's like and it's not even in their manual <laughs> like you have to like find someone's YouTube. It's just like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, when it's uh, some one-man show, right. usually d- these kinds of uh, applications, it's uh, yeah, one guy who who did it for himself. Exactly. He's and like, oh, I like this. I'll send the, it to the- his friends. His friend says, uh, "Yeah, well, we we need that too." So right. it somehow grew. But uh, if if you're not him. <laughs> It's hard. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's, hard it's to cool use. software. I'm, it's just an, it's just the example that popped into my head. It's like there's no button for it. Like you have to click an option, and then it magically just shows up. And it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, it doesn't yeah, make sense. And yeah. I was like right clicking on stuff. Like where's that brush? Yeah, and 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 especially stuff like that that you don't use all the time, right. and then every time you get back to it, damn, what am I supposed exactly. to do here? It's like I have to <laughs> look it up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm so stupid. Oh, for sure, I feel like <laughs> totally stupid. I'm like, oh, am I have a different version now or something? Like, what happened anyway? Uh, so I wanted to shift topics a little bit uh, because I thought this was a really cool topic idea that you had sent over to me, and it's. Uh, 
it's related to what we're talking about, but in monetization and kind of public perception, but how important is it to educate non-photographers or the general public on just how difficult it is to produce and create the amazing photographs that we're making? And if so, like, how do we even do that? Uh, well, I think educate might be <laughs> a bit of exaggeration, you know, I don't need to educate anyone, sure. but, uh, but yeah, you know, these days you have so many great photos around, you know, on Instagram, on Facebook, on magazines, online magazines, and, you know, people are exposed to them all the time and they have a look and they see that photo and, uh, you know, they say, oh, lucky person or, must have you know, a nice if, camera. If it's a, <coughs> yeah, or or if it's a, a really nice photo, they say, God, blah, blah, blah. yeah, they curse. I beeped myself out. Um, and, uh, you know, the, most of the people don't really, don't really understand how much effort goes into it, how much thought, uh, persistence, uh, and everything like that. You know, I, I'm sure you get this too. You you post a, a good photo with some brilliant conditions, and you know you get responses like "Wow, you're so lucky," and you know that that causes uh, <laughs> steam to go out of my ears because it's not luck. You know, it it is luck. On the day I was lucky, but you know I I planned it out. I went there once and twice and for a uh, for a time, and then I got lucky. Is that lucky? Uh, maybe not so much. So, um, and what's that phrase? Luck favors the prepared. Uh, yeah, I, f I think the the phrase I like is uh, people who work hard get more lucky. Uh, there you go. Same, <laughs> because, same idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so w one of the well, w one of the avenues that I have is uh, that I also do like lectures, presentations with my photos uh, to all kinds of audiences, where well, I tell them the stories behind the the photos. Uh, usually, you know, it's a in a light-hearted manner. I don't come out to educate them. I come to entertain them. Uh, but but yeah, I, I want to expose them to to what really goes on behind the scenes before you get that uh, that magical photo. And uh, it's it's really great to see how the people respond to that and you know you can see the wheels turning in their heads wow this is uh you know it's really hard this is really crazy you know uh usually at the end of the these lectures some people come up to me and say you're really crazy it's uh uh you know it because of the hours you come out and the places you go with no one else around you which might be a bit dangerous uh so uh, but 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 it's great you know to have them understand that it's not that some lucky guy was accidentally standing on that cliff uh and got the magical sunrise uh he he worked very hard for it yeah no i think that's i mean you could also put it in another way like every photograph that you've taken up to that point that failed in some way was well, just preparation for you to make that moment happen with the camera. So I think yeah, there's lots yeah. of different ways to kind of explain it. But there is some salesmanship to that too, I think. You know? 
yeah, yeah. I think you know if <laughs> if you're trying to to sell your prints, uh, the, the more it. Uh, the, the, the the more it's uh, epic, uh, the story behind it, uh, I'm sure it will get uh, people more enthused about it. Uh, and and actually, you know, I uh, surely you know Peter Lick. I was. Uh, I think gonna, he, he he's a master. I was just gonna bring <laughs> him up as an example with his Bella Luna shot. <laughs> uh, no, I mean not that, but you know, uh, I think I I was out. Uh, I think about 12 years ago with my family and in the US and we were in Vegas and I got into one of his uh, galleries and awestruck and you know and then I went and researched and you go to his website and you know it tells you about this guy and his epic adventures and how he you know they 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 sell it to you that he's going to all these dangerous places and stuff just so you don't have to uh and and you know it, it was funny because at that gallery in in vegas you know there were at least five photos that i've taken a version of on the week earlier because you know they're, they're right next to the parking lot I know, yeah. <laughs> you know like uh uh delicate arch and stuff uh or I don't remember. There's a Miss Arch. I think it's Miss Arch with the with the sunbeam at uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the sun star. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's a lot of marketing. And obviously, he's doing well with that kind of marketing of telling people, you know, showing off like that uh, crocodile Dundee Australian, you know, with the camera between his teeth, <laughs> going to dangerous locations to to take photos so so yeah I'm, I'm sure that works you know uh letting educating people about well uh, all the stories behind the there's photos there's a difference between educating and flat out lying to people you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah 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 um, but but it was uh, an exaggerated example of of how that oh for sure does work on oh, people they, love it. they uh, eat it up um, they, they think it's the yeah. Almost off. I mean, he has that that huge full moon photo on a cliff, and it's his description is like so ridiculous. Like, I've come to this location like twenty times before, and it never worked out. And finally, on this one magical night, it everything came together, and I was able to capture it on my sheet of film. And it's like photographers who know anything about photography are like, that's just a composited moon over a cloud, like. That's like, you know, but he just takes it to the next level. I don't even think he does. It. I think his marketing people do it, you know, but it's still like, I think that's, uh, like, yeah, yeah, I, that's like taking it to the extreme in terms of like, maybe, I mean, it's cool to talk about the story and the behind the photo and how you, all of that. But I think if you're yeah, literally yeah. lying to people, that's not cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's not him; it's his marketing people. But yeah, I think you know fr from the beginning, you know that that's the story uh, he he was going to tell. But you know, I actually really a few weeks ago, I I really had a look at the, his online gallery, you know, to try and see what sells. And these days, at least you know there was like uh, the bestsellers. Most of them 
are composites, you know, really exaggerated. As a photographer, you look at that and you say, what the hell? Uh, but, but, but I guess, you know, he, he now knows what sells. So, yeah, so we're going to have, uh, I need the seascape. I need uh, the sunset above it. And then I need the Milky Way above that. And that, that sells. And, you know, you have a few photos like that and you have a look and you say, that's ridiculous. But, you know, people buy it. And uh, he's very good. He's very good. He's a very good photographer and even better marketer. Well, I mean, a lot of people are kind of going down that path. And it, it's an interesting conversation because, I mean, I don't want to talk about the merits of compositing and all that, but in terms of, like, intentionally deceiving your audience to make money... Um, and knowing that that formula is successful, to me, that just lacks integrity and authenticity. But if you can sleep at night and still pull it off and you're a millionaire, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's okay. But I don't know. I wasn't raised that way, me personally. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, to I totally agree. Uh, you, you know, I, f I, I really think that, you know, composites should be, uh, you know, you should revealed that they are you know it's digital art and not photography um because still to most people photography uh, means something the word photograph it means to stood at a place and this is more or less uh what you saw and uh within reason i guess uh, like it's at least something uh, you could experience <laughs> yeah but you know? Uh, no, you, you know, it's, I mean, I don't... you know, the, the colors are maybe a, a bit exaggerated, but, right. um, but, but I think most people still to this day, when they see a photo, it, it means this is something that is real, you know, uh, and when you try to sell off the composites as photos, um, you, you are lying to to the people who uh, who watch that, and uh, well, eventually, nobody's gonna believe a photograph anymore. I think now you also have uh, like uh, the artificial intelligence engines that create realistic photographs, or not very realistic uh, at this moment. And <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah, like with Mid Journey and stuff. Like it's pretty incredible the kind of stuff people are cranking out with that uh, it's interesting too because most of the people i see embracing it are they call themselves photographers or creatives and it's i find that to be a bit of an interesting i don't know there's some mental gymnastics going on there because it's like <laughs> you're literally putting yourself out of work yeah yeah i think but but you know uh an early adopter you know it's gonna it's gonna come out oh for sure one way or the other so i mean i don't you know if you saw this stick. there was actually here in colorado um this guy entered a did uh, an ai created image into the state fair as a photograph and it won grand prize really and he didn't disclose that on the entry form or anything like oh that. wow and it became this huge they didn't ask for the raw <laughs> no i mean it's like a state fair like it's not like that serious but you know i think there was like pretty good money on the line and he won out of, he won the photo competition for the state fair wow. AI 
Oh, no. And he has, like, a post on Reddit where he's, like, defending himself as, like, he created that by learning the prompts of the system and figuring out the how to create that image in the prompts. And it's like, well, all of those AI images are just derivative, algorithm-based things that spit out things that are based on, um, you know, Creative Commons. Like, it's just stuff that's out there and it just amalgamates it yeah, into yeah. the prompts that you put in. And you didn't create, you know? Um, you know, I think you did, uh, uh, I think you had a mental image and yeah. and you created that uh, into an actual photo you can you can show people so i think you know th there's obviously some creative uh uh process here and, and like you said i've also seen actually people who are very good photographers playing around with it yeah, um, me too. so so it does you know you you have those dreams of going out and getting exactly that and this and that and suddenly you can just Without going out, you can you can do all that, and you don't have to go out ten times until you get exactly the right conditions. Uh, but but yeah, you know it's it could be a bit bleak for the future of photography. You know if you can do that so easily. Certainly stock photography. Um, well, yeah, you know, magazines. You know any any of that kind of work is just going to get replaced, I think. But. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, like I don't, I don't have anything against anyone who wants to use those, that software to create stuff. That's cool. Um, I think if it's going to replace photography, if it replaces photography for you, then I think photography wasn't really about experiencing those moments or being in nature or capturing those moments and remembering them and being there and putting in the skill to to execute on it. It was about something else, perhaps, which is fine. But that's the way I see it. And I could be... I yeah, could be yeah, wrong. yeah. I mean, I meant... Uh, I was alluring to photography as a, as a trade, you know, oh, for, uh, sure. for people who, who, who buy photographs and stuff like that. Obviously, for, for someone who wants to go out, uh, I, I mean... I'm surely seeing it in you and in me. I I go out to photograph because I like to go out mainly. That's the reason why. Right. Uh, like if you didn't, the, the photography you didn't make makes me go out. If you didn't make any money on photography and you didn't need to, would you still do it? Sure. Right. I mean, I think that's <laughs> yeah. the question. And if the answer to that question is like, oh, I don't know, or no, then I don't know. That just I don't know. It just changes the whole dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not to... I mean, if you use those programs and you have fun with it, I think that's cool. It's just... I don't... Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's The shortcut is too too short, you know. You could, once upon a time... Well, not even today. If you're uh, good at painting, you, you had that vision and you painted it. Uh, so maybe if you're not good at painting but you still want to paint it... You can just use uh, this software, give it a few keywords, and uh, hocus pocus, you've got uh, a great photograph or right. could you imagine painting of what like you Jimi Hendrix is like? There's an AI program for music. I don't know, maybe there is, but he's like, um, he just types in a couple of words, and it's like 
play the music like me and it does <laughs> and he's like well i guess i'm just replaced you know what i mean it's i don't know it's interesting <laughs> uh well well you had to be uh he had to make some music in the first place right. for right for it to know how to do it but uh right. but but now you can come out and uh play like Jimi hendrix or write a Jimi hendrix song <laughs> I guess I don't know if there's uh applications like that for music, but surely if there aren't, there will be soon, yeah, I mean, but nothing nothing beats like raw human creativity and the process of engaging in it, and you know the tactile i mean photography is somewhat unique in that it's like there's a device between you and the creation. And, you know, but you still have to know how to use the device. Um, you know, have to know mm -hmm. where to put it. You have to know how to frame it, blah, 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 blah. But I don't know. I think, I think when you're using an algorithm, there's some part of the human condition that's lost in that. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, I, I don't think photography is so different in that. You, you always have a device. Sure, a pen, you know, a brush. If, if you're doing music, uh, unless you're doing a cappella, Yeah, you have your guitar, uh, guitar right. or your piano. If you're painting, you have your brushes. It's it's always some tools you you use to to bring out your creativity. <laughs> right. Uh, and this is a a tool that does everything. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I mean, I, there's a I'm on a Discord channel and there's a whole AI little sub channel. It's super interesting mm -hmm. to see what people are creating with it and stuff like that, but at the same time, it's like i get I guess where I get rubbed wrong is when people take credit for it, like look what I made it's like <laughs> I don't know, man, like you typed some words into a system and it created it for you like I guess like it's not that impressive <laughs> well you know uh when you went out to take a photo you typed some uh, uh now you're just playing devil's advocate the, <laughs> you, you know you you put your aperture value you put some settings and click the button and uh you got it the, the right it's that simple you know, mother mother earth right. mother earth did all the rest you you didn't do anything <laughs> no i mean you could take that stance for sure right i don't know um I just, I just think there's a, there's definitely some mental gymnastics involved in like taking full credit for something a computer program generated. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Can we at least agree on that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally <laughs> agree. I totally agree. You know, I think people are, uh, it's something new and people are playing around yeah. and, and, and the question is, you know, will it catch on? You know, is it just something people are playing with a bit are, and they will move on? Or and I think there's, is it really going to... I think to... there's some actually, some really interesting use cases for AI, for for landscape photographers. One of the things you can do with it is maybe there is a photograph you have in mind um, and, you're, and you want to see kind of, you know, like maybe just pre-visualize what it could look like. You know, AI could maybe do that. You could make, put in prompts like, Loretto, sunset, um, high clouds, um, pine trees, columbine flowers in the foreground, and like just see what it looks like. And like, you know, that could give you some ideas of things in the field. I don't know. Eh, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm not sure about that, you know, because I think as a, as a creative person, 
you can pre-visualize that. You know, once you can put it into words, you have in in your mind you have it. You use that program to show someone else what what you have in mind. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, but but uh, I'm sure commercially there will be some uh, some great uses for it mm-hmm. and. It will cost them much less than actually hiring a photographer. Or a so. digital artist or a illustrator. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, as you were saying that, I could think of, like, if you're an art director and you're trying to put together, like, a storyboard that a photographer then has to go out and create, yeah, I think AI could, you know, at least very quickly give the impression of what they're looking for, and then the photographer has to go execute on it. But it definitely will, I mean... I don't think it's all bad. I think there's definitely some utility and some use cases for it, but to replace photography as a creative tool, I think is a stretch for me. No, no. That, yeah. The, like you said, we we enjoy the practice of photography and that can't be replaced with sitting in the, with the computer and typing a few words. That, that <laughs> That's not the same uh, <laughs> process. Right. Or experience. Yeah. Well, we could talk about that for like 22 hours, <laughs> but um, running yeah. out of time, wrapping things up, who would you recommend for the podcast? Who do our listeners need to know more about? Um, well, one one guy, <laughs> very famous, uh, Michael Kina. Uh, I think uh, he, he has, uh, for those who don't know, uh, very beautiful black and white works, very simple uh, shapes and forms and uh, I think what's really special about him is that he managed to he's one of the few landscape photographers who's actually embraced by the art community you know as a as a real artist and I think it would be great <laughs> yeah yeah real artist in quotes uh, I yeah. think yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it would be great to to hear his story, to hear how how that happened, uh, because uh, I think many many of us would would really like to know how to to cross that barrier, because most of the uh, conventional art world looks at landscape photography as postcards and not actual actual art and uh, I'd love to hear his story I, I heard him once uh, he's a very interesting guy so if you can get him on the show uh, I think that could be very very interesting to to hear um, a few more guys I think uh, you know in my earlier days I, I was on a forum in Flickr where uh, we had it was really great for for learning because people would would give some good critique you know uh and they had some i had some great photographers there <clears throat> one of them is uh ian bramham uh out of britain manchester i think uh he's uh he he photographs much in the style of uh michael kina black and white very atmospheric uh simple shapes and forms and you know i i i see him photograph uh in all kinds of places that many people have been before and he brings out something really different uh so it's it's really interesting uh to hear about his uh his process uh another guy is uh called john leach 
also British. He uh, also mainly does uh, black and white and atmospheric photos. Uh, he has a, a very interesting project. He has, from the window in his house, he has this bay uh, that fills out with high tide and comes out in low tide. And all the stages between, you have tongues of water and stuff. And he just has a, a project of photos from his bedroom <laughs> window. Uh, I, I think he he made a bl book but with blurb i don't think it was something that was actually uh available for for buying but it's really amazing to see how much you can do with just one view one view over time uh so many different shots uh, he's also a painter um he's also very very funny but you do have to get past his uh, British accent is not not easy to understand. Gotcha. Um, awesome. Yeah, and and one one last guy. Uh, his name is uh, Alex Bazeos, and he's uh, a Greek photographer. Uh, and contrary to those others, he he does do color work. And you know, I I just I call him the king of color. The uh, his ability to process his photos uh, with colors that are really vibrant and rich but still look so real is, is something I, I really haven't seen from anyone else. Uh, so he, he does <laughs> has a very good eye for, for the landscape. He takes great photos, but also I, I think in, in terms of post-processing uh, the color, he, he's really something else. Awesome. Well, thanks. I appreciate those recommendations. And Ilan, it's, it's been so much fun. We went in so many different directions and I had a blast. So really appreciate you getting up the crack of dawn to, to make this happen. <laughs> well, it was before the crack of dawn, but uh, it was my pleasure. It was, it was really great. I, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, thank you to Elon for the great conversation this week. I highly encourage listeners to take a look at his work by checking it out in the show notes on my website or by going directly to his website at ilanshaham.com. As always, I'd love to hear back from you about anything you gained from listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, Please help us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or by sharing the episode on social media. I appreciate you a lot. Next week, you can look forward to our episode with Minnesota landscape photographer Jay Rasmussen. Jay is an avid participant on the art fair circuit, so we talked a lot about his strategies for selling his work, which I think can help anyone trying to sell their work regardless of whether or not you do art fairs or not. Jay is also a PhD in education. He trains other educators. And we talked about how you can learn how to become a better teacher in photography. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.